Tell us about, you know what, JR, tell us about your whiskey. So you mentioned um, it, you've mentioned it before, but, uh, you know, you just brought it up now and tell us more about it. When, when is it out? When can people start buying? Hold on, hold on. on. I'm going to, I'm going to jump away here for a second. I'm going to move my phone because I'm going to get something really cool to show you. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Since we're talking about it, um, I just got one of the first bottles that have been made so hold on sorry everybody for moving around in the show but you'll like it it'll be worth it okay i'm gonna put you back down here on my little stand since i'm laying in bed doing my show today so take a look at this take a look at the bottle now the bottle we did something totally different with the bottle something that nobody's ever done right which i think is going to win awards um it's like a work of art. So take a look at this bottle. So what do you see with that I see a flask. I see a flask on there. Yeah, the flask is connected to the bottle, right? So one of our mottos is never leave home without it, take it with you. Now, so right here is a little little spout that we built on top of the on top of it that yep. fills that you can fill the flask with these with these and then if you're going on a bike ride you're going on a hike you're going to a sporting event you're going someplace you can fill the flask and you can take it with you so so it's called whiskey wild and it's like celebrate your wild like what's your what's your wild right so it's a chocolate whiskey this here is a chocolate citrus so it's a chocolate orange hence the the orange um, band that is holding it in place. And it is a cool looking bottle. So when do I get one of these? Um, next month when all of them come out. So this is one of the first, no, the first bottles created, created. I want one so. in a week. Cause <laughs> right now my cheeks are tingling <laughs> and I'm starting to salivate because I want to taste that whiskey. Well, I will tell you this. You like chocolate rib, right? Like it's chocolate. new. So this chocolate whiskey, what we did, my the, my partner who was in the taste business, he was um, he he invented he, he was the main guy that created all the beech nut baby food flavors back in the day. Uh, he was one of the main guys in inventing bubble yum, bubblelicious. Um, this guy is just like he's amazing. It took him a year and a half of mixing and trying different ingredients to try to get the perfect whiskey chocolate combination. Well. We have a little blackberry in it, a little elderberry, a little vanilla. So what happens, you take the sip of whiskey, you get a nice bite of whiskey, like the whiskey connoisseurs like, and then all of a sudden the chocolate overtakes the whiskey, covers your tongue and leaves like the most unbelievable, like just perfect touch of chocolate taste that takes away the whiskey bite and makes just, it's, it's an ending of sheer bliss, man. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. I'm surprised Riv is even interested with how hungover he was yesterday when we did our our show after the Super Bowl. He yes, was still was. he was still drunk on on the show yesterday. Slightly, well, it was probably a great show. It was probably a great show. Man. It was one of his better performances, I'll say that. And you know what? I don't even remember what we talked about. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you that's, this: that's, that's today's Tuesday, day. and I'm back, baby. 
<laughs> and you're looking good. You're looking fresh. <laughs> I love it. The energy is rolling. So, hey, thanks for letting me. Let, thanks for letting me show you my whiskey. But That's amazing. Cool. So, yeah. So, though, when will that come out in production? So we've already we've already uh, we've already created thirty six thousand bottles. That's going to be our first run, and they are we're bottling it up in Wisconsin. So the bottles right now are in transit from from New, from Mexico City where they're being made up to Wisconsin to where it's going to be bottled, and um, we'll have those first first ten thousand bottled and ready to go uh, in early, so on mid every bottle. Every bottle, you're gonna have one of those flasks. Yes, every bottle has a flask. Yep. So what? Really what cool. What's the price tag on something like that? Uh, it's we're more of a higher end uh, whiskey. It'll probably it'll probably retail at seventy nine bucks, seventy nine fifty, right around in there. Okay. Which is a, which is a good. Uh, it's a good. Uh, I I think it's a for the type of whiskey that it is for what we what we put in it. Um, it's a high scale. It's not, it's not a shooter whiskey, right? It's not like something that you like the young sipper, kids are going to yep. have. It's a sipper and it's, um, I will tell you, I look forward. And ever since we've finished the formula, I look forward to literally seriously every night sitting in front of my television, maybe a fire on having one last, one last cocktail to put me to sleep, but one that is so pleasing, right? Yep. That that it's just like whatever happened that day goes away. Kind of forget about it. That's, that's kind of the, the feeling that the, that the whiskey gives you. It just gives you a calming, like just, wow, that was awesome. Huh. Yeah. We're, uh, can't wait to try it. You got it. You got it. One's coming to, coming to your house soon. Where, where can, am I? Where can, no, where can people buy it? Oh. Well, we're first going to start it online. We'll have our uh, we'll have our online store uh, attached to our website uh, probably early March for for the initials. Then we'll start going to smaller distributors. To uh, we'll be in Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Florida, and Illinois probably the first first states. But um, it'll be you you you'll be able to buy it online through our our online store. So are you like, are you partners? Is it just you or who, who are you, who are you partnered up with? This, any this, any this, other former yeah, hockey this, players? No, it's myself. Uh, it's one of my best friends uh, that I've, that I've, uh, that I've been great friends with for like 20 years. And then um, two people that I met here in Arizona, one was my concussion specialist, uh, the, the doctor who would take care of my, uh, my brain and give me all my concussion um, symptoms, like, tests and and treatments um she's a brilliant brilliant doctor and then the other guy who is my partner is a guy named gary kehoe who owns a company called m drive which is one of the biggest nutritional uh, online supplement companies in you know in the country that he's just a he's a brilliant brilliant marketer he's a brilliant online salesman and he's a brilliant uh he's taste guy He's a mixologist taste guy. You guys are just incredible. So all of us are equal partners. We all put in the same amount of money and, um, you know, we're just getting ready to, to launch next month, which is, which is, so is, that, is that what you were sipping on during the Super Bowl? Nope. Nope. I was not sipping on that during the Super Bowl. I, I, I wish I was, but like I said, the, you know, our, our whiskey comes out in March. We're, we're saving it, all the bottles, all the whiskey that we have for our, our first bottle. And 
that's why I said I look forward to every every day being able to have at least one glass of this. But um, it's very. It's been over two years since we started this. We started in January of 2020. So this is two years in the making. This is not just like a you know a turn and burn sort of. Hey, let's throw out some sort of whiskey or some yeah. sort of uh, <clears throat> some sort of brand and see if we can make some money on it. No, there's been a lot of a lot of planning, a lot of passion, a lot of time. How much has COVID purpose. affected? Because obviously you're talking 2020. It's yeah. right when well, COVID it, hit. Yeah. You know. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it stemmed from there, right? So when we're all locked down and the government's telling us we can't go outside, we can't see our loved ones, we can't see our friends, we can't go to work. Um, there's no sports to be watching. You know, there was we, we had to find something to get us excited, something to keep us occupied, something that would that kind of um kind of changed the mentality. And so we, we came up with this idea to create a whiskey and something different. Now it's a chocolate whiskey and a chocolate citrus. You're not going to find very many products like that. Uh, there's about three, I think there's three other chocolate whiskeys on, on the market, but they're terrible. They're, they're, they're no good. They're awful tasting. And I say that, I don't say that biasly. I've tried them. So which, which led to why we did ours, but I think we made it for, to kind of bring, like, like I said, to, to bring people out of the, you know, the doldrums of what they're going through. And you just need something to look forward to. And you know what it's like when you're with friends or you're trying to celebrate something that you did, you celebrate with a cocktail or something. Um, you know, unfortunately, the libations bring, bring happiness in a lot of ways if you're, if, if controlled, correct? But that's right. Yeah. We, yeah. Well, we, you're, uh, tell you what, our demographic is primarily Buffalo and Buffalo, Buffalo likes their cocktails, man. So, they do. So, they do. So, so they do. you're you're definitely uh, you're definitely promoting it in the right place here because we got yeah. a lot of Buffalonians that listen to the show. So let's let's talk a little bit of hockey here. Um, yeah, let's do it. Well, let's do it. There, there's there's a couple things like Jack Eichel's coming back. Uh, well, you know, curious to know your thoughts about that, or if you even care if you'll be watching tomorrow night. He should be playing against 100%. the Colorado Avalanche. But the first thing I want to ask you is what your thoughts were when uh, Montreal hired Marty St. Louis as the coach. I was shocked. I was shocked because I know Marty St. Louis has been teaching, has been coaching his boys for the last five, four or five years. And his, boy, his boys are great hockey players. They play out of Connecticut, out of Greenwich. And I know Marty. Marty's an unbelievable guy. He's a, he was a phenomenal player. Very, very smart hockey man. And a dedicated hockey man, but he's been with his boys in the peewees and squirts and peewees and, and bantams. Bantams. I mean, now peewees and bantams. He was asked and that, he, Jr. What's the he, highest level of hockey you have coached? And he said, Bantam. Bantam. That's Bantam. what I'm coaching right now. Does that mean I'm like, you know, hey, should I just be like making a phone call to Kevin Adams yeah. and saying, hey, okay. Kev, um, okay, coach Minor Bantam right now? Yeah, <laughs> give me a shot well, that, with the big that, boys. That's and, shocking. That's shocking. You know why? Because finally somebody in the National Hockey League went totally against the grid, went totally against the norm, right? Because usually you got to go do your, do your time in the minors. You have to go or something like, or in junior. Junior hockey, work, minors, work NHL, right? Right. Pay or your college. dues. Pay your dues. This is the first time it, it ever that a coach has been brought from Bantams right to the league. Now, I will, I will preface that. 
I think it's a fantastic thing. And I say that for a reason, because Marty St. Louis is a unbelievable hockey person, mind, heart. He played the game at, at a, an unbelievable level. How can you, how can you not be drafted in the national hockey league, be five, nine, five, 10, go have the career that he had win an MVP trophy. Five, nine, um, five, 10. What are you looking at? Five, 10, oh five, my nine. God. He is not a, he's not a inch over five, eight. So he was exactly tiny, tiny when he played and he had, Look legs, him up, he had legs like tree. He had legs like tree trunks. Yep. He had a, he had a competitive level that was second to none. He, and he's, he's, he was extremely smart. I think he can relate to these kids today. You know, we need more players that have played in the league that have been a part of the league that you have to be accountable to a coach. How many, you know how many times I have said, whether it's to a coach or to someone said, you never played in this league. You don't know what it's like to play in this league. And I've said it, I've even gotten ridiculed for it. Um, but you can't say that to Marty St. Louis. Marty St. Louis won an MVP. He won a Stanley Cup. He he came from the doldrums of not getting drafted to being one of the best players in the National Hockey League. And he's going to hold that team accountable. And he's an extremely smart guy. And you know what? I think he's going to be a good players coach because he's a, he's a supportive guy like that. I think it's great. I was shocked and surprised. But I think it's great. I'm happy for Marty. Do you think it's, do you think it's harder for players to uh... – has the word respect or um, I guess uh, admire respect admire well, respect. Well, no, I mean, I guess, is it harder for players? Uh, I mean, to, to listen to or learn from a coach that never played in the NHL. Um, I mean, because the day, the I days think, of the bully, the bully tactics are over, right? So you can't take some asshole who never played hockey and just treats his players like shit and scares them into playing hard. So I wonder if now with the way things are going, if it's, if it's more beneficial to have coaches that actually played yeah. in the league. Riv, I, Riv, I'd like to hear your answer on this first before I answer. Um, first and foremost, if I'm a player of today, when Marty St. Louis, as a French Canadian, walks into the dressing room, everybody, and I mean, they're all slouching down, they're all having their talk. As soon as Marty St. Louis walks into the Montreal Canadiens dressing room, everybody's sitting up. Everybody's looking, and they're almost in awe of this man that is five foot eight on uh, hockey DB. He five is foot eight, eight, which means eight. that he's probably five seven, okay? Because they always give you an extra inch, right? So, you know, he's uh, he's a he's a smaller in stature guy. This is a guy that was never drafted into the National Hockey League. He played his first season in the NHL where he had a small cup of coffee with Calgary Flames and played 13 games. He had one goal and one assist. Oh, that's an MVP. That is MVP written all over him. And all of a sudden, this guy who is just an absolute warrior in the way that he approaches his game by probably throughout his life, everyone telling him that you're too small, you're too small, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you will not play in the best league in the world. 
In Marty St. Louis, and you've met these guys, you've played with these guys before, they are relentless. They are, they are focused. They are all, they've been told their entire lives they're too small, they're too small, and they do stuff, and they will do stuff that other players won't do. Marty St. Louis turned into a Hall of Fame hockey player in this league. Played 1,100, over 1,100 games, over 1,000 points, and he's five foot eight. And everybody and an told him that he couldn't do it. So when I look at him and say he is now the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, my eyebrows raised and I actually laughed. And here's the reason why because I look at Marty St. Louis because I've seen him at the rinks literally for the past 10 years. Because we're coaching in the same tournaments, we're coaching in the same arenas, and I know that he coaches mid-Fairfield, I know that he has an 03, I know he has no 05, and I know he has no 08. And he is now the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. He's never coached a junior game. He's never coached a pro game, nothing. And I think to myself, then I think to myself, doesn't matter because he's not there just for X and O's because he's going to know the X and O's. Okay. He needs the most important guy in this organization right now is Luke Richardson. Yeah. Luke Richardson is a longtime NHLer who had a fantastic career that has coached how many years now? 10, 15 years in the NHL. Tough as tough nails. as nails. He understands the game. He understands the practice plans. He understands the X and O's. He understands the power plays and the penalty kills and everything else. But Marty St. Louis will be able to integrate himself into it, but he's not there for the X and O's. Yeah. The X and O's are going to be established by the guys that have been there already. And Marty, Marty St. Louis is there to deal number one with the hardest media in the national hockey league. That is the French and English media in, in, in Montreal. Number two, he is a motivator. He has won a Stanley Cup. He has persevered through all these MVP. tough times. MVP. He has done everything to gain respect of every single player that has played in the National Hockey League. So he's going to motivate his players. He is also a face that every single Montreal Canadian fan on the planet can sit there, smile, and say, that guy is representing our team, and I love it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'm a yeah. big fan. I'm a big fan of Munch, uh, Martin St. Louis. Th- that wasn't my question, though. Uh, my no, question. Okay, okay, so so I'm going to so finish, finish what he just said and add on what I'm going to say and probably answer your question the way I interpreted your question. So I definitely feel that there are aspects that a player that has played in the league can bring to a coach, a coaching position that will, that will help the players and help his ability to communicate with players and to be that what they need today as a player coach. Because what you talked about is the old school yelling and screaming, you know, keeping people uncomfortable, you know, keeping people on edge, ridiculing them is gone. So they got to see eye to eye. What Marty St. Louis is going to do, and by the way, Rib, what you're exactly right, but, Mar- but Marty's also going to bring 
Like, do you, t- do you think their power play could get better? Marty St. Louis was an amazing power play specialist. Most, quite, most definitely. He, he, he can, he's going to bring so many different aspects of the way he played and the style that they won games in Tampa. I mean, they beat us in the, in the semifinals that year when they won the Stanley Cup, and their power play was insane. And Marty Did they St. not Louis hire was, uh, Vincent LeCavalier, too? I, don't, I didn't hear that. They might have because that was the best one-two punch of, of that year. But so this is this is again when you play in the game and you, and you play the game the way that Marty St. Louis played at the um, and also with the pressure and you know the pressure from the fans, pressure from the media, the expectations. You know you you know what it's like to have to go onto the ice, what it feels like to have to perform to to. Uh, to do your job every night, you know how you feel the next day after a game. You know what your th- your players are thinking about the game. You can get in their heads. I don't think a player that hasn't played in the National Hockey League can really get a full one hundred percent idea of the pressures that these players have to go through every day to to perform to produce. Uh, to be physical, to be brave, to go through the minutes, to go through the travel, what they feel like when ice bags are on them every day, to feel how their body feels after they've had a punishing game the night before. He can relate to every single person's position and how they felt during the game and how they felt post-game. And he can coach and relate to them that way. That becomes a really important way uh, aspect when you're coaching young players because you can relate to them. You can give them sound advice. You can tell them what you did when you were playing, the thought process that you did, what, what he did when he went home. Um, there's so many different elements to a player that has done what Marty St. Louis has done in the game. My question is, and it's happened before. I mean, Gretz, God love Gretz. I love him. He's the, he's the greatest player of all time. Gretz, Gretz wasn't didn't have that impact in Arizona. Number one, because he didn't have the the team that could bring it to the level that Gretzky wanted, or that I think everybody expected Gretzky to coach to. He didn't have the he didn't have the players, the level of players. Does Montreal have those level of players? Are they going to get those level of players to help Marty? That's going to be an interesting thing. But Marty is going to be dedicated. He's going to be in that rank every day. He's going to be watching video with with Luke Richardson and everybody else. He's going to be committed to putting the time in to doing what's necessary to make sure that team is prepared. Not criticizing Gretz, but being Wayne Gretzky is a total job all in itself. You have people that he's got to represent the league. He's got to represent Canada. He's got to go do signing events. He's got to do appearances. He has people pulling them. He couldn't be in the rink. He relied on his assistant coaches more than any other coach, I think, ever, because he couldn't put the time in that Marty St. Louis. So I think there's a little different mentality. I think Montreal is – this is a smart move by Montreal. I hope that answered your question. So what what is Montreal doing? So they just – they made a trade yesterday with the Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames certainly picked up a great player in Tyler Toffoli, a guy that has scored goals throughout his career, and he is going to help a very strong team that's playing very well in Calgary. Um, He's going to bring that secondary scoring. But 
by them making that move and acquiring a first rounder, a fifth rounder, and two, you know, other other prospects. I wouldn't I wouldn't say prospects. Um, like, what is Montreal looking to do? Are they looking to tear this thing right down to the studs, or are they right looking down. to build on the fly? No, they're they're build, they're breaking it right down to the studs. They're, so they're, you're getting rid build. of Gallagher. You're getting rid of a, a Josh Anderson. You're getting rid of everybody. Carey Price. I would not be surprised if it's a, if it's a fire sale come trade trade deadline for Montreal because they are going to try to load up on as many draft picks they possibly can. They right. already have 12 right now in this coming draft. They have 12 draft picks and they haven't even started. If they want to get rid of Gallagher, they want to get rid of Anderson, Mike Hoffman. I mean, there, there's a, there's a large amount of players. Jeff Petrie's probably going to come off the books. There's been a lot of talk about him, him on the trade blocks, but is Hoffman healthy. Yes. Yes. I mean, he, he just he, scored. He, he just scored last game. He makes four and a half million dollars. He has this year and then he has two more years at four and a half. Um, he's probably going to be a guy that's going to get moved. I mean, Gallagher. I mean, his contract is a little tough. His, his contract, Hoffman's contract's a little tough to move, especially because he's got two years left on a deal at four and a half million. But I'll tell you, for a team that could rent him, the guy can score goals. I mean, the guy's a goal scorer. I mean, yep. there's no question about that. Um, I don't see much use for him in Montreal. I, w- I could see him being one of the first guys if a team can afford him and don't they don't mind those extra two years at four and a half. But because uh, look, I mean, ever since that, um, you know, all that controversy that happened in Ottawa, he's been pretty much a suitcase, right? He goes to Florida yeah. and then he goes to St. Louis, then he goes there. But he this also, he had some very impressive years in Florida. Yeah. The one yep. year he scored 36 goals and had 70 points. And the next year he scored 29 goals, but it was in, six, why it was in 69 games because he was unrestricted. They didn't have the money to re-sign him. So they, they, they had to move him. Tough guy to, tough guy to let go. Jack Eichel making his return tomorrow night. I'm excited. I, I, I'm, I'm excited, excited to see this guy play, man. I, I mean, against the I, best I team in the league. I know. Yeah, right. uh, go ahead. Yeah, tough team to come back to play against, right? Playing against one of the top teams, but I guess that's that. That doesn't matter to Jack. He loves the game. He wants to play. He wants to get back in. I I, I wonder if he's going to play a little timid, coming back from such a serious injury, something that kept him out so long. Um, I want to see Jack. I want to see Jack become a superstar. We had that conversation a couple of weeks ago. I want to see him become a superstar. Um, I think he's got the he's got the talent for it. And I'll tell you what. But the Vegas Golden Knights probably one of my favorite teams in the league by by far, and I'd like to see them do well, and I would like to see Jack Eichel prosper there. It would be great. How much does you know having their captain out and put on long term IR? It's just convenient too, right? I mean, you have to bring in a ten million dollar contract in order to get Jack Eichel in the lineup, and it just so happens a nine and a half million dollar player goes on long term IR. Um, but you have Mark Stone. I mean, he's he's one of the heartbeats of of uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Big, big part of their team, offensively and defensively. You take him out of the lineup for an extended period of time, it's going to hurt that hockey team. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it'll be interesting to see number one who Jack plays with, and number two, 
you know, how, how he's going to look just like you said, is he going to be timid? Everybody. I mean, everybody is going to stay up and watch that game because they want to see Jack take the first hit. They want to see how he reacts. You know, I put him, I would give him the best opportunity to succeed. I put him on the top line with Marcia. So, and, uh, and Riley Smith and let them, let them, let them go at it. Just put him right on the first line and take Carlson, move Carlson down and give Jack the, the best opportunity he can to, to prosper. What about uh, Pacioretty? No, I think Pacioretty is a, he's a second liner, you know, he's a second, second line player that I think, I think, I think Marcia so and, and Riley Smith can help Jack Eichel more with their playmaking ability and their work, their work mentality and maybe their brains more than Pacioretty can do because Pacioretty is the goal scorer, right? He's not going to go around and, and make awesome passes and, you know, get in the corner first and bang out the, bang out the pucks and get them to Jack. Marcia so is, is a workhorse. Riley is very, Riley Smith is very smart and he moves the puck really well and he'll, he'll dig it and he will help Jack. I don't think Pacioretty will help Jack. Jack will help Patch but not the opposite way. I think you got to support Jack first until he gets his legs underneath them. I'm with you, Riv, about, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how he responds to, like, his first hit. You know, how like, if he is timid about that neck, because, I, I mean, I'm not confident in that surgery that he had still. I know he took the surgery that he wanted to have, but I'm not confident in the surgery that he had with the disc replacement. It's, it wasn't... By every doctor, a vast majority of doctors out there will tell you that the fusion is the better surgery for a hockey player. Um, this this is this is risky. I mean, you think? I mean, I, I hate to ask this question, but you think guys will will take a shot at him? Like, I don't mean in a dirty way, but I mean if they catch him, you think they're looking for him? Jr., you'd be looking for him. No, you don't. Tell you the truth, I I. I I wouldn't. Um, but you're wouldn't not laying be, up if he's there. I wouldn't just because it's Jack Eichel. Okay. Now, if he was someone that I did not like, that I did not respect, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would take every shot I can to make sure I knock his head right the fuck off his shoulders. I would, I would try it. There's no question. That's how I played. But I did have respect for players that, and no who they are, know the type of player they are. And, you know, nobody wants to end somebody's career or do something that's going to, you know, knock somebody out of a, out of a job. But I mean, I hit the, I hit to hurt. There's no question. I didn't hit to maim. I didn't hit to end careers, but if you hit Jack Eichel the right way right now, it could end his career. You never know. I don't think, I don't think I don't think many guys are going to look to hit Jack Eichel. I don't. Think it's amazing so. you just said that, Jr. Nobody knows what's going to happen if Jack gets hit hard. Nobody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this device could hold up for ten years. Guy. What's that? I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody wants to be that guy that that hits him the wrong way early, and possibly ends ends a, a great player's career. I don't think anybody in National Hockey League the way that they think today. I don't think anybody wants that 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 stigma. How that, long? That how long before 
this is behind Jack and the Vegas Golden Knights, where each and every game, I think people for, you know, I think the people for the rest of the year are going to be watching to see how Jack is feeling, the soreness. Like, I mean, people are going to be very interested in how Jack Eichel deals with this. It's a surgery that's never been, it's never happened in the NHL history. He's a, an elite star player in this game. And how long in is his it going to be before? In his prime years. Prime yeah, years. in his prime years. How long before we just stop talking about Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights and he's just, he's healthy, Next he's year. back, and he's good to go? Next year. Next year? I think. Okay. Let, let, let this, I think he's going to take, I mean, he hasn't played in, what, a year and a half, two years? I don't know what, it, what it's, it's been. It's been a long, long time. time. It's, it's been, been like really 11 months. Time. He got hurt. His last game last year was March 3rd, 7th, March 7th. So it's it's eleven so months, almost a, it's, it's almost, almost a year, it's almost a year. It's almost a year. So, and, and and guys, you know what it's like when you come back and you don't play this game for a long time. We we're all we we're all on lockout in two thousand four. We missed a whole entire year. That next year was not easy to play. And now he's playing against guys that who are have been playing. It's going to take him. It's going to take him a good month or two until he starts feeling more game shape, more confident, more confident about his game, more confident about his body and his, his physical stature. So, uh, which is perfect for the Golden Knights if it means going into the playoffs with a, with a more confident and healthy Jack Eichel. But I think it's going to take a couple months for sure. Uh, did you see the... Just, just, to, just to stop you right there, Petey, before yeah, you go move on. It. Second year in the league, Jack played 61 games. Third year in the league, Jack played 60 seven games fourth year in the league jack played 77 games fifth year in the league 68 games sixth year in the league 21 games jack has been injured Mm -hmm. in almost every year of his Mm -hmm. nhl career six years he's been injured for significant amounts of time for five of them. Sure. Well, I think his first sure. year he played 81, right? Yes. And I think he missed he missed a game in Carolina for the flu. I or he was sick or something. I remember that. Yeah. So, ever since his second year, he had, remember he had that uh, sprained ankle, ankle injury right away right, right at training camp. Yep. Mm-hmm. Day before the season started actually. Yep. Yep. I remember. Yeah, you're right. So, it's it's a mental thing, man. And you don't tell me don't tell me you don't sit there and think about you know your history. Because it's it's inevitable. You have you, you can't stop think about it and hope that it doesn't work, doesn't happen again. So have we'll you, see. Have you seen the rink that they're going to be playing in next year in Tempe, Arizona, in uh, uh, with the Arizona State University? Have you seen this? How embarrassing is this? This was your team, Jr. This was your team. You loved you love playing for the Coyotes. The people that are listening right now, I people did. that are I listening did. to this podcast, please go and look it up. This is going to be an NHL team playing in a Cracker Jack box. It is the most embarrassing thing I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. So I, I'm listen. I played for this team. I love the Coyotes. Okay. I, I have. I, I I always have a have a big heart for the teams that I, that I played for. And I lived in Arizona for 26 years. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be totally, totally honest with you. And it's probably the first time I've ever said what I'm going to say. First time I've ever said this publicly, but I don't give a shit anymore. 
this team, ever since it's moved to Glendale in 2002 and moved out of the city and has had trouble attracting fans, um, there's reasons why that happened by geographical location, right? I'll tell you real quick. So as Arizona was growing, all these California people were coming from California to Arizona. The west side of the, country, of, the, of the city was being developed. So that's where most of the people from California came to get out of California. Technically, Californians, not big hockey fans by nature. They, I mean, San Jose and LA have their fan base, but they're not moving to Arizona to support the Arizona Coyotes. So all the big hockey fans in Arizona come from Mesa, Scottsdale, Chandler, the place that, that grew, that made that where all the snowbirds moved to earlier, the Canadians, the Minnesotans, the, the Illinois people from Chicago. The populated area. Correct. Right. Because that's where it was. So those are all the hockey fans. The hot, to drive from Tempe, Mesa, Chandler, Scottsdale, out to Glendale on a weekday is an hour and a half. They're not going to drive an hour and a half for a game and then back 45 minutes without traffic a couple times a week to watch a hockey game. Now, okay, that's preface why it, it hasn't worked. Now, the Coyotes have a lot of very devoted fans. I will, ne- I will never say that they don't have great fans because they have a good handful of very passionate Coyote fans. I see them. I know them. But this team has been in turmoil for 20 years. 20. They've gone through ownership problems. They, they have gone through financial problems. They've gone through city problems. They've gone through coaching problems, player problems. And you would think that a team like that is going to reach out to anything they can to try to build, um, build something stronger. Right. Um, look what Pittsburgh. Look, what is I'm the biggest issue that they, they, they did. So the, the go back. So people understand this. If, if the Phoenix coyotes back in the day would have built an arena in Scottsdale, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Not at all. But it what they, fault, what they did is they were, fault, they were trying fault, to think ahead of the game instead of building an arena in Scottsdale. They went out and, and, and got a plot of land in the middle of friggin' nowhere that they said in five, 10 years, oh, everybody's going to be, it's going to be booming and, and you're going to build around the arena. It's going to be amazing. Well, guess what? There's well, nothing well, out true. there. Well, that's not true, Riv. So first of all, you're right about Scottsdale. They, were, they had a plan to put it right in the center of Scottsdale and the city declined it okay it was the city's fault because they didn't let them build the arena where they were going to build it it would have been an absolute money maker would have been great for the city it would have been great for the fans and the owner that had just bought the team owned the plot of land in glendale which was a pig farm so the owner of the land who now was one of the owners of the team saved not only saved himself money of where to put the arena, but he also put the arena where he was going to develop his own stuff. Okay. And that's what the owner that owns it now, why he bought the team 
is because he wanted to build an arena and build all the hotels and restaurants and and you know live nations around the arena he wanted it for the for the real estate side when you buy something for a real estate reason and you don't buy it for a love of the game and to put the right proper financial aspects into the game like the coyotes have fired so many people in the front office to save money they sign people to save money they keep the salary cap down to save money it's a money thing for them you're never going to be good by the way i lived in i told you i lived in arizona for 26 years do you think if they're struggling as a team that they would bring in some of the some of the some of the key older players that had a a huge um emotional base, huge stake support support stuff like the coyotes when i played for them from 96 to 2001 we were we were awesome we had a great team keith kachuk craig janney rick tockett myself yep. uh hobby bullen newmanin we had a great team and the <laughs> fans loved coming you wouldn't think that you would bring back a couple players that a were possible hall of famers like myself like Keith Kachuk, like Javi Bullen. Javi Bullen lives in Arizona. Bring back Newman in. Bring so back when you somebody. played there, where did you live? Scottsdale? I lived in Scottsdale. I lived in Scottsdale. Just like Brian Savage and yeah. you and every other place because Scottsdale was booming. Dave booming. Mustaine. It's, yeah. it's, it's mind-boggling the mistake that was made 20 yeah. years ago if it would have been. compounding in- it. They're compounding Listen, it. Listen, how many, how much money did, were they losing a year, Jr.? You remember this? You were, 25, you were 25, 30 25 million. to fifty. 30, yeah, twenty-five to fifty million losing a year every and, single year. So, but listen, and by the way, there were certain people in the management staff that wouldn't bring on certain people because they were they because they were maybe not confident enough. Uh, they wanted to keep their their job, their their stature. Then of bringing in a strong, strong hockey mind, a strong physical mind, a strong mental mind, um, that they would maybe take over a little bit of the of their position or their power. Um, they just they didn't bring people in. So my saying is, you know, I was there. I could have gone and tried to help that team in the locker room mentality. You know, Pittsburgh Penguins, they had Billy Guerin in there. They they had you know Mario in there. They had, I mean, Mario's the owner, but they had so many different pieces of their championship caliber players in that locker room all the time. Stature yeah. people that made those players accountable, that could talk to them when they're having problems. The Arizona Coyotes, maybe with deception, their 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 best player that they have that has been in the league is Steve Sullivan. Steve Sullivan was a good hockey player, right? He wasn't a superstar. They could have had me go there for minimal money to try to help the team. No, they never fucking reached out to me once about thinking about coming to to help them. Not once. So they don't give a fuck. They don't care. They, they care. They only care about how much money they're saving and how much money they're losing. They're not and, you know saving what? money. And, That's the whole and, and point. And by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, that I, hey, listen, they deserve everything that they fucking get. Everything. Because they put themselves in that position themselves. So this goes so back feel, to the, this goes feel, back to the discussion, JR. This goes back to the discussion. 
So they're 20 years they've been in this league or, or, or 30 years they've been in when they come in 2000. So 20 years they've been in the league. They have lost money almost every single year they've been in the league. And not just a little bit, not just a few million here and there. We're talking 25 plus every single year. It is the black eye of the league, okay? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how are they still in the league? How are we watching right now that, number one, they can't even pay their bills to stay in the arena that they're at now, and now you're going to go to an arena that is just being built by the Arizona state. And they're going to go and play in there for the next three, four years. This building holds how many people? It's like 4,500, 5,000. How is that possible? It's embarrassing. There's no question. It's embarrassing. It's a, it's a, it's a minor league team. And by the way, we talked about how many teams we can get rid of, or at least move. I, I can't see, I can't see that team staying here for any significant amount of years. JR, you just said right now that it's a minor league team. Mm-hmm. How many yep. teams in the American Hockey League have buildings that are 4,000? Mm-hmm. Not very many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's mind-boggling to kind of understand. In, in, San Diego, in San Diego, where I live now, they have a 14,000-seat arena, and they, they, they have more fans probably more fans than Arizona has for the, for the goals in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever a, go to, did you ever go to, uh, I mean, I'm sure the answer is probably yes, but Teppo Newman's house when he, when he played there, I heard he had like a, a full blown like Irish pub in the basement. Uh, he had a, the, the houses, the houses in Arizona when they were being built back in the nineties were unbelievable. And, and Keith Kachuk and Newman had lived like kind of off the beaten path on all these, these nice little streets with the most beautiful desert homes, you know, they had, yeah, Newman had like the coolest, the coolest bars, like the coolest pool with the lights coming out. It's like desert living is great, man. And they, Newman and, and guys like Kachuk, they did it right for sure. It was, I, it was fun. I remember cause Teppo, Teppo used to tell it cause I was like one of the legends was Teppo Newman's basement and he had this Irish mm-hmm. pub and it had like the brick floors and the brick wall, mm-hmm. like everything was brick. Yep. And mm-hmm. it was like the, I think I want to say that he even had, I could be wrong, but I, I want to say that he even had like the bar sh- shipped in from like London or something. And it was like this old uh, mahogany like bar that was out of this old bar. In- I, don't know if that, I don't know if he had that, but he had a, he had a, he had a fucking popping house, man. Petey, awesome. Were you not at his place here in, in Buffalo? I've been to his place here. Yeah. Do you remember his downstairs? Uh, I don't know that I ever went downstairs. I wasn't there for like, it wasn't like a team party or anything. I was just there. I think drinking wine in the kitchen. Why? He knew how to do, he knew how to do it right. I mean, I, I walked, I walked into the downstairs and I was, my eyes immediately popped out of my head. I have not seen a downstairs like that ever. Like in, in ever, like, I mean, everything about it, the, the bar, everything, the, just, it was insanely detailed and so well done. I mean, it was very, very impressive. Uh, 
the last thing I'll say about Arizona is Riv and I played one year together and we had probably one. I only had six rookie dinners in the NHL. Okay. This one wasn't mine, but we went, remember our rookie that night we had the rookie dinner in Arizona, Riv? I don't. All right. <laughs> we were at, uh, What's that restaurant? Ocean Prime or something like that. We were at Ocean Ocean Prime, and uh, I think I don't know if it was in Scottsdale or where it was. I just know we took a bus. I missed the bus on the way home, and I ate a dinosaur leg that night. We ordered like, everybody it was ordered ungodly those amount of chops. Meat. They were like two or three hundred bucks a pop, man. The whole team ordered them, but. Oh, the shenanigans we got into that was night. It, was, it, was, was it at that uh, little that little mall area in Desert Ridge? Do you remember? It, was it in was it like in a little shopping area mall kind of? One I don't know. Derek Roy planned this one. Listen, I and, got off the bus. I was so plastered; it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable night. I, I missed the bus back to. Who was the guy that was trying to sneak the bottles of uh, Louis Trey in his jacket or something like that? And the bouncers took them. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I missed the bus back to the hotel from the bar and I'm in a cab following the bus. And all I'm saying to Riv is I'm texting all the guys, pull the bus over, <laughs> pull the bus over. I want to get on the bus. And Riv was like, no, we're not pulling the bus over. You missed the bus. You missed the bus. <laughs> like the, I, the whole bus ride. All I heard about the next day was this epic bus ride back to the, uh, I can't remember where we were staying, those villas or whatever out by a golf course. Oh my God. I love Arizona. It's going to be sad to see that team leave. It's going to be sad to see that team leave. Fuck. It's a great, it's a, it's a great city. It really is. And you know, as much as I, I love to see that team succeed because I, again, I do have a lot of love and passion for the team because I played for it, but man, have they been a disaster of, of of a team economically and structurally and and playing and league wise stature wise well it's it's got to be it's got to be Batman's to me it's got to be a little bit of Batman's stubbornness to not let that market fail I mean look at look at the lengths they've gone to to hang on to it over the years I mean it's just hundred percent it's just 100%. yeah so anyway god forbid god, god forbid there's a god forbid there's a failing team in gary bettman's nhl yeah right that like, would not be good there's nothing wrong with saying you're wrong you tried something new it didn't work let's move mm-hmm. on and you know i mean it's but you know the, the, it is what it is and that's the problem i mean the players the players in the league guys i've even spoken to are like get rid of the team man they just kill our hrr they, you know, they're they're a big reason why they're paying a ton of escrow too. It's teams like Arizona that you're trying to keep alive, right? Yeah. So, anyway, Jr., great stuff today, man. You're awesome. You're still in bed. We love. Are you in the West Coast, East Coast? I'm in Arizona. <laughs> are you really? Yeah, yeah. But I'll be out of here by the time the show airs, so <laughs> I don't have to worry about the backlash. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna air in uh, two hours, so. All right. Better get packing. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.